Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is July 6th, 2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have. We are so thankful for your grace and your mercy towards us. We're, thank you. we're thanking you for life, health, and strength that we have today, and we pray for those who still are struggling uh, I can think of names that come to mind. Uh, Dave's daughter, Misty, and her family. Um, Dave's daughter, Lenora, uh, and others who come to mind. So, Father, we, uh, we pray for healing. We pray that your will be done in all of these cases. So also, Father, we, as we begin our study in Romans, or continue, I should say, we pray for wisdom and knowledge. So as we approach this, these verses that we are in, that you will give us the clarity and understanding of what we read in the Word of God. So we pray for wisdom as we continue in this study of this important and pivotal book. Of Romans 11. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, as you know, we're right in the middle of verse 12 of Romans 11. So, you should have some notes, and we're going to get right to it because we've got a lot of ground to cover. And we already took a swing at this last week, and we will try to I think we should be able to finish today with Romans 11 and 12 so it reads but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles how much greater riches will be their full inclusion whether will their full inclusion bring when God undertakes the working of his plan, we must remember he is doing the work and we are the ones beholding his glorious plan unfold. We can only marvel and look with wonder at his intentions and perfect will. We are creatures of time and we see things in a linear way. Quote, because of this, we will do that. But God already knew what would happen before he created time. He is not reactive when it comes to human history. When we learn this to the degree that God already knows, we can fully trust our lives to God and have the peace and confidence about our lives which does not depend on circumstances. Quote, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39. So no matter what happens, God is already telling us about what the outcome is, what the conclusion of the matter is. We should be depending on Now, it doesn't mean that we won't go through those things, that we read in that verse. We might, but it won't ever stop or separate us from this perfect plan that has uh, become a part of our experience. So that should be comforting to us, no matter what happens. Even if we close our eyes and sleep, or death, or life, no matter what happens, God is promising us that nothing will be able to separate us from this plan. The fact that we're here today says that God's plan is marching on. It is moving forward. Well, we have a lot to be thankful for as we are in this age. It is clear that God has demonstrated his intention, his direction by signs, wonders, and miracles. Now you might say, well, uh, signs, wonders, and miracles, well, those were done a long time ago. Yes, yes. But we depend on 
the testimony of what the Word has taught us, that those things establish that God was in this. He is in this. This is the direction that He's going. And so we, we can take confidence in that and know that He has established His Word. That when we read the Word of God, it is not just some automation of human beings uh, that have come together or some clever person. God is telling us, this is me talking to you. I'm telling you what my will and purpose and plan is. So we got into this verse. It says a lot. And my hope is that you would take time to look at these verses and examine for yourselves. Ask the questions. Don't be afraid to wonder about, well, what does he mean? What is he saying here? How does that work? You know, because that is exactly how we should be investigating these verses. We shouldn't approach them with, oh, I already know what this is. Right? Ask whatever hard questions you want. Why does it say that? What does it mean? And let God answer. He, he loves it when we do ask questions because he has all the answers. So just imagine. I don't want to say God is a know-it-all because that implies arrogance. But we want to know, we want to say that God does know it all. <laughs> he does. Uh, so ask away. He wants us to ask. So here is where we were. Here is where we were. We finished, uh, but if their transgression means riches for the world. We, we went through all of these points, and we got down to point number Two, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles. But before we do cover those, um, you know, going forward, I just want to look at the last two points <clears throat> of point number one. That will be nine and ten. <clears throat> so nine is note the U.S. or U.K. or whatever nation you can name today is not and will never be the Israel of the world. So this is, we discussed earlier in earlier sessions about how people look at um, Romans 11 and some people look at it like what they call replacement theory. Israel was so terrible. They failed in such horrible ways that God had to cast them aside. And that, and that he adopted the church to take over all of Israel's responsibility so that Israel is gone. And what we learned is that the church does manage for God some of those responsibilities. And what, in particular, it is the fact that we are now, we have received the ministry, the responsibility, the blessing where it talks about salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's the previous verse. We receive that, and we are now responsible to God for the gospel in the world today. Interesting, Israel was a nation before God, and a very peculiar nation. The laws, everything about Israel spoke of God's plan, some aspect of his plan that was revealed at that time, whether it was the Messiah coming or whether it was about the golden age or what we call the millennium, whether it was about their mission that they were supposed to be a priest nation to the world, right? All nations of the world will be blessed through you. And um, so they had a particular role and they were that nation. However, they are not anymore. God has put the whole plan of Israel on pause. And you might say, wow, how could he do that? It's almost as if he stopped time. And the clock is no longer ticking. So what, what is he doing during this time? It, it, it is that he is calling out those many sons in the glory. This is his plan, 
from eternity past where he foreknew us, he elected us, he called us, he chose us. He, all of those words now God uses for the church. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, once you're in the church, you're no longer a Jew or a Gentile anymore. You are one in Christ. The body of Christ, the church, these are all terms that are given to us. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way, says Ephesians 1.23. So we're a very special group, very special, not Israel. And I only make that point to say that there is no nation that uh, answers to the call of Israel today. There is no nation that is under the Mosaic law. We are not, it's very clear, we are not under the Mosaic law. So it's very clear to us that we are not a part of that whole calling. So it's important, this point here, and I guess we will revisit it, so maybe I don't have to rehearse some of these points, but I'll just read it. The point number 10, God's eternal plan revealed is riches for the world, even though our free will has been able to run its course. And Ephesians 1.11, we covered this. I'll just read it and um, so that we can just make a note of where we were in the context. So 1.11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So in other words, <clears throat> it might look messy to you, might look complex, but God is working his will out in all of this that we can see. Now, of course, it will be way too much for us to think that we could work something out with all of the free will of man, uh, you know, the, the varied decisions and who knows what they're gonna do, it will be almost impossible to work something out from our perspective. We just don't have the capacity. But God does. God has the intelligence, the capacity to be able to hear prayers from all over the world. And he can respond. This is not even hard for God. This is easy. For us, we'd be totally confused. I can't. It's hard for me when two people are talking at the same time, and to me, I can't process that. That's I know some people can. I cannot. I, I just am confused. Which who do I listen to? Which one? And I'm confused with that. But God is able to do far more than what our capacity is, and that's how we have to begin to think about it. He's working things out within the midst of this world, even though this world is termed the devil's world. Uh, he's the prince and the ruler of the air, says Ephesians chapter 2. It's clear God is able to work out things, and he has conquered Satan. He has triumphed over him, and he will eventually take the reins of this world, and, and he will run with uh, the rulership over this world in the millennium so anyway let's continue so that is the thought god's eternal plan revealed is riches for the world and when he says riches for the world he's saying that the world will be blessed through what god has given to us <clears throat> now before we go there to the point number two i want to look at how Paul understood this, right? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I know this, this is not in your notes. You could jot it in there. 9. Uh, we could look at 16 and, and following. So he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Now, how is he compelled to preach? It is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. It, it is motivating him to do it. If you preach the gospel, that is a spiritual function. 
And God the Holy Spirit must be involved in that. It is not, well, if he's involved. He must be involved. Now, where we can mess up in this area is where we don't have the right motive. But even still, if the gospel is preached, then even with false motives, then God is glorified in the gospel being preached. Now, this, that's a verse in Philippians that you could look at, but the reason why that was, it was said that way, was because the gospel was early, um, you know, with these new changes that Jesus had come and was, the, you know, he had presented himself, was crucified under Pontius Pilate. The whole thing came, this was new information. So God wanted that information to get out. Paul is saying, don't worry about it. If pe people are preaching the gospel um, for, with false motives or true, that's okay. We want to get the word out. Our job is to get the gospel out. But look, back to 1 Corinthians 9, he says, for if I, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, if he doesn't do what God the Holy Spirit is influencing him to do, and he's saying, woe to me. In other words, I'm, I'm stepping out of the will of God. I am resisting the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I don't want to do that. I want to preach. So not only is Paul, so then verse 17 continues, if I preach voluntarily, meaning he wants to do it, he's compelled, he's allowing the Holy Spirit to lead him, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. So think about what we were talking about, how the church has assumed this responsibility. We have this uh, ministry, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We have this ministry now. God is going to hold us responsible to this trust, to this ministry that has been a part of uh, what what we are granted as ambassadors. So Paul, is, he has basically said it right here. I just wanted to bring that to your attention, that these verses um, are right here. Paul is saying, I, this is a trust committed to me. He knows that that's committed to him. He understands that that's important. And that's what it means for riches of the world. We have that now. And what does it mean? It means that there are probably... I always say there are believers in every nation, but you know I can't count them. I just assume that there are believers in Christ in every nation under the sun and today. And whether they are or not, God is working through believers only. When he worked with Israel, it was a mixed multitude. Some, obviously the ones who were not saved in Israel, could not preach the gospel because uh, they didn't themselves accept the gospel. So let's get to it. So I've already hopefully given some introduction as to where we were. Point number two, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles. So a uh, couple thoughts here. What did Israel lose and the Gentiles gain? <coughs> so that's what it's, it's referring to. God, Paul is trying to work this thing out in our heads so that we can understand how it works where God disciplined Israel. He, they became hard-hearted. Um, the fact that Christ came and presented himself as the Messiah didn't make them feel spiritual or good about themselves. It caused them even to resist harder, just like Pharaoh did, right? So the more God presented grace to Israel, the, the more they resisted God. They were resisting him prior to Christ's coming. And Jesus told that parable about the landowner who rented out the land and they killed, and then he went to, he sent servants to go check on the land and they killed them. Then he said, well, finally, he says, well, I'll send my son. They'll respect him. And when they saw the son, they said, oh, he's the heir. Let's kill him. 
and uh, this horrible attitude. But he was talking about Israel and how they treated Christ. It just got worse and worse. It didn't get better. And God even sent a person, a prophet, in the, in the person of John the Baptist, who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and yet it still didn't wake up Israel to the point where they repented and received their Messiah. It still didn't do it. So we're talking about grace. So what happened? It just angered them more and more to the point where they just clamored for his crucifixion. So there, um, that's what we mean. How much greater riches will their full... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. And their loss means riches. So so when when we talk about loss and riches, what did Israel lose and what did the Gentiles gain? Right. So Israel lost their favorite nation status. Now, this is the first point. And that's temporarily they did. It's not... They're going to come back to the favored nation status. If you go to Revelation 7, we saw that, where God brings Israel back on the earth's scene again. Oh, they weren't gone. They were just scattered. And uh, he brings Israel back as a nation, a nation before God, not just a nation in the world. So I say temporarily is because... Uh, they lost it. Right now, they are not a nation before God. And you know, it's interesting that the church, a lot of people in the church, somehow think that Israel is uh, still God's nation. Uh, right now, they're under discipline. If you want to know what they're like, you could see he has given them a spirit of stupor, hard-heartedness, a callousness of heart toward God. That's what they're, they're like. They're, they're in no way to be envied, that's for sure, uh, because of their, in their disobedience, we certainly would not want to emulate Israel at all. So, they let, so what did they lose? Okay, so we're going to see what they lost and what the Gentiles did gain. Israel lost their favored nation status temporarily, very much like they did in their history of stubbornness and God's judgment. So we, we saw that. If you go and read the Old Testament, you can see, first, God warned them, if you do this, you'll have blessing. If you do this, you'll be judged because, you know, they were responsible to God. Um, and that's part of the history of the Old Testament. You've, you've, time and time again, God had to judge Israel. This is not the first time he took them out as a nation. Uh, and, and caused them to be overrun by another nation. He, this is not the first time in history. Point number two, Gentiles, or the church, right? why are we using the word Gentiles here? It's because uh, we're talking about not a nation before God. We're talking about simply Gentiles, right? not a particular nation like Israel. We're not dealing with Israel. Gentiles assumes the role of ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation to the world, not as a nation, but individually, and not under the Mosaic law. So when we say that, it's clear that we are not Israel. We are not under the Mosaic law, like Israel will be even... Uh, it's going to be the Mosaic Law with the addition of the New Covenant and the Tribulation. And they would still be under the law with, with that uh, provision in place. So, we are, we, as I read in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17, where Paul says, This has been, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. And... What is that trust? He's an ambassador. He's a minister of reconciliation to the world. Right? But not as a nation, but individual. So we've taken that part of it. Right? So now we have that responsibility, for sure. Right? So point number three. However, God took the riches of the Gentiles to a stellar level. So 
the riches of the Gentiles here, which, which is characterized by the times uh, that Paul is using, the time in which we live, it is not just that um, God said, okay, you know, we're going to bless you with the responsibility of the gospel. There was another purpose in that. God didn't just bring the church forward to take over Israel's responsibility in this matter. We have a, a, a higher calling, or we could even say another calling, that uh, equates to God's eternal purpose. I want to read some scriptures because the riches that we have in the church, which are given to the church, are different from the riches of the world. Right? The riches of the world means that God, God is going to allow, uh, have his uh, gospel on the ground. That's what the riches of the world refers to. But I'm just pointing out that God's bringing forth the church is not just about Israel. We have a purpose that goes far beyond what Israel had. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures quickly just to orient us to what, what I'm talking about. So Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So Israel was called, but now we need to understand why God called us. The, the ambassador part, as I mentioned before, is only a small part of it. So the, and then he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. What do you mean, the, uh, these riches of, in, of his glorious inheritance? So he, this is not the riches of the world. This is the riches that is what he called us to. And we have an inheritance. And inheritance is not like what Israel had. And Israel had an inheritance that had to do with a land grant. God says, if I'm going to give you this land. Each tribe had a certain portion of the land. And they were, they were blessed. They were given that land by God. But as an inheritance. If you read in the Old Testament, and if you do a, re a search on the word inheritance, that's what you're going to find. But that is not what God gave the church. It is way beyond that type of inheritance. In fact, we are not a part of this world. And we belong, um, it says, in, we have a home in the heavens. God has given us something uh, that he is describing as the riches of his glorious inheritance. And, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he goes and describes what he means by power. It's the same as his mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. and seated. It's the same, it says. didn't say, well, it's just like it. And in a lesser sense, he said it's the same as his mighty strength. So when he exerted... so far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed them to be head for everything, for the over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So it's not anything to do with Israel. It is a unique calling. And I want to also turn to Ephesians 3, 8 and 9 maybe 10 to, let's just see, Ephesians 3, 8 says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace, special, was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So now these riches that are in Christ are said to be boundless, endless. You can't get to the bottom of them. It's you can't search them out. They're so. These are the words used for the riches that belong to us in the church. And then he says his job. This is Paul again, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. So it was a mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So if it, if this thing was given us, was kept hidden in God, who created all things. It was not revealed, right, in ages and past generations. Then it can't be Israel, 
because it was not known to Israel. It was hidden from them. They didn't know anything about this age. As I said, it was almost as if the, the prophecy clock stopped and Israel had no idea that it would. And that, But God did demonstrate that he was doing what he did through signs, wonders, and various miracles. So we know that direction is sure. So Colossians chapter 1, and then we'll read verses 24 through 27. Let's get to it really quick. So 24, it says, Now I rejoice in, in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Paul's talking about suffering for Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Same language we saw in Ephesians 1.23. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now we talked about that word pleroma. That was to fill up a deficiency. Like uh, you got a, a glass of water and it's only half full. How do you get it? To, to fill up what you got to get more water and put in it. So this information is spoken of in terms of revelation that we have, right? God is saying, I'm going to fill up what this deficiency is in terms of the word of God to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So this information that was hidden is now been revealed. So it adds to the other revelation that has already been revealed. So we don't look at the mystery as something that is like not related to God's eternal purpose. It is God's eternal purpose. And we don't look at Israel and say, well, they're, they're not a part of it. No, the whole thing works together so that um, Israel contributed to God's eternal purpose because God chose to do it in this particular order. Right? God says, I'm going to bring along Adam and the woman in the garden, then I'm going to have Noah, and I'm going to have Abraham, I'm going to create a nation through him, and the nation's Israel, now we're talking Israel. So all of that, none of them knew about what we're dealing with, with this mystery, this these glorious riches. No, None of them knew about it, but now it's revealed so we don't just say, oh, we're so special, we don't need anything else. No, what we, how we look at this is that now everything we thought we knew, we now have to integrate into the, the understanding of what has been revealed. If you don't do that, if you just look at the mystery and say, oh, the mystery, you have to understand how it works in all of, the phases of God's, of what God is doing in the dispensations, how he's, he's revealing his eternal purpose. All the dispensations contribute to God's eternal purpose, although the mystery is very key in that it is said to be that information that God hid in himself, and this is why he did the whole thing in the first place. Why? He created all things. Now, that's well, when I talk about a higher purpose. Well, there it is. Right? So, so let's read. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. What is it? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages, the same language, and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Notice it's not disclosed to the world. It's disclosed to us because we're the, one, we're the recipients of this information. We are those many sons that are being called into glory. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. Notice he's using the term Gentiles again. Why? Because we're not dealing with the Jewish nation. We're not talking about Israel the glorious riches of this mystery. Glorious riches. Here, here, here we go again with how, and when we see riches, I just don't think of a pile of gold. 
think of riches in terms of God's thinking. God, the way he appraises what riches are is what he is telling us in these verses. It's not what we think riches is. It's what he thinks. If it's a glorious riches, glorious has to do with the fact that it has a plan attached to it. And at the end of that plan, God has a purpose in that it, that he considers glorious riches. So, so it's not something that's man-made. It's not, that's why earlier in 1 Corinthians 2, it talks about no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed these things to us by means of his spirit. So this, this is the glorious riches. I'm back to Colossians, back to Colossians 1.27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there, just like on Sundays of what we've been dealing with, which is Christ in us and us in Christ. We're one. What does that mean? What is God saying about the relationship, the dynamics of our spiritual life? He, he is telling us that there is something very unique in all of this. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all his energy, uh, with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. So even though I did not put um, Colossians chapter 2, I should read it, I think. Colossians 2. Um, so verse, well, let's, let's read verse 1. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. That would be me. I haven't met him personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have, again, the full riches of complete understanding. Well, the full riches of... Notice the full riches of complete understanding. And what will, if you get that, what would that mean? In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what we have is on this side of our resurrection bodies, we have been given the full riches of complete understanding. That's why we need the spirit of truth, because you would not be able to know this information any other way, no way, no how, without God the Holy Spirit giving you this. So it is a quest for information. It is a quest for you to know I almost want to take out, tell you to take out a number two pencil. Right now, we're going to have a pop quiz for all the things we've been talking about. I almost want to do that. And the teacher in me wants to do that. But the, the, the teacher in you is the spirit of truth. And the, the lesson plan that we have here is the mystery. This information that God himself is telling you is Riches, glorious riches, treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is his eternal purpose. This is why he created all things. So I almost want to tell you that you need to have an attitude of learning here. This is what this is about. If God is saying he released this information, he hid it in himself. He didn't tell anybody. Not even angels knew about it. And now it's available. For us, the church, to turn a blind eye to it would be the worst thing that we could do. It would be like Israel's failure. Because this is why God called us in the first place. Yeah, he, he gave us the ministry 
of reconciliation. We're ambassadors, right? God's going to use us in that way. Yes, he is. But this is not referring to that. What he has done for us. He's telling us about it. We don't have the fullness of it until we receive our resurrection bodies. And so, uh, back to our notes. Um, so God, this is that was point three. However, God took the riches of the Gentiles to a stellar level. He did that. Uh, even though um, we, we're talking about riches for the world. Well, how the world benefit through all of this? They're going to see. They're going to hear the gospel. And if they hear the gospel, then we have an opportunity so that they can know the full knowledge of the truth, according to 1 Timothy 2, 4. So let's keep going. Point B and 2B. Let's be clear. The church is not and will never be Israel. Will never be. So I just am saying this so that we do not go down this path. If someone does go down this path, that means they haven't really focused their attention. A couple of thoughts here. Galatians 3.28, let's read that. Uh, why we will never be Israel. Galatians 3.28, Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free there is neither there nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus on Sundays we've been talking about what this oneness is notice it's not Jew or Gentile that's all the races in the world we are not any of those I mean think about when you think about this if you think well you are in one of these categories. A person would normally say, yeah, I'm a Jew or I'm a Gentile. And of course, that could break that down, right? Into further categories. But when this says Jew or Gentile, that covers it, right? You're either in a Jew or a Gentile. But when you're one in Christ, what the baptism of the Spirit has done for you causes you to not be something that you were. It takes you out of these designations that we were. And now he tells us that we're neither Jew or Gentile, slave nor free. So, you know, in the Roman world, there were a lot of slaves. I mean, there were, you know, master slaves. There was, there was a whole lot of uh, people who were second-class citizens. Well, I don't even, we couldn't even say they were citizens because they were slaves. They were they weren't even second class. They were just slaves. Nor free. Even if you were a free person, you're not that anymore. Because And these are designations that people see themselves as. Male or female. Wow. If I'm not male and I'm not female, what am I? What am I is the question. I am not any of those things when I am in Christ. Yeah, I do know I'm a male. I was born a male. I know about all that. But I am talking about this new calling that we have in Christ. So he says, neither slave nor free, neither, neither male nor female. If, you, if somebody said that to you, what would you say? When they say, who are you? You are something that is out of this world. Whatever you are, it is not part of the designations that are in this world. You, you, you are something other. You, you are not of this world, just like Christ says. They are no longer of this world any more than I am of the world. They are not. They are something new that God has designed. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New like the creation of angels. New like the creation of Adam and the woman. That's mankind. Well, if we're not that anymore, we're something now. We're new in Christ. Something completely different. Another verse, Colossians 3, 10, and 11. Let's look at that. Let's just bring this home, this point. It says, um, verse 10, And to put on the new self, 
done. When you put it on, okay, so God has already done this for you. But for you to put it on means you understand it and you begin to conduct yourself according to it. So let's look at it. To put it on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So you, if you want to know what we're supposed to be doing in the church, like what is what should we be focused on? Here it is. It's being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Why? Because we are united to him in this special relationship. The creator of all things. So here, look at here. What do you mean here? Verse 11. In Christ, that is. There is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So we are something, and then it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He's telling us, I should read this, because I don't want you to get the big head. <laughs> you know, you said, wow, I'm something. Doug really told me I'm something. Well, listen, I should read this. Clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And it goes on, but we have some more notes to cover. So I just wanted that to be clear, that we will never be Israel. And would you want to be? Do you want to be an Israelite? I don't think you should. When God has given us through grace, through sovereign grace, he has called us to this unique position. I, I can't understand. You know, Israel didn't want to be Israel. And what I find today is the church doesn't want to be the church. I don't understand why we can't be satisfied with what God has called us to. Why? What is it about this calling that is distasteful to you, that you go back and say, oh yeah, I heard what you said about the unsearchable riches, God, and all that, but I just want to be like Moses or Daniel. I just want to be like David. When God is hit, well, we're not going to cover that again right now. We got to keep moving, okay? So, point number three. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Let's talk about this last phrase. What is our time? I think we have enough time to talk about it. Point A, God will restore Israel and they will supernaturally fulfill their purpose in the tribulation. We talked about that. He will restore. And it, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen through signs, wonders, and miracles. Just like Israel's inception, it was... Signs, wonders, and miracles. God's going to bring that on stage again, and Israel's going to get—he's going to get their attention. Like as, as we're in Romans 11, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins, and I will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And and this is when God's going to restore Israel. But that is after God takes away the church. Point B. Let's take some time to review their record from a prophetic standpoint. So we got, uh, go all the way down to Revelation, it's the last book of your Bible, chapter 12. What is this about? It's about Israel. Let's read it. 12, uh, what's the verses? Oh, actually, before we get to 12, let's go to 7, verses 3 through 8. So, um, verse 3, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, okay, this is in the tribulation, right? This is the beginning. 
Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From, and then he goes into this, from the tribe of Judah were sealed. Uh, from the tribe, uh, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, uh, of Gad, 12,000. Tribe of Asher, 12. And I'm not going to read them all, but you get the point. 12,000 from each tribe God has now, which he considers the nation Israel being restored. And here, just an overview, a quick overview, 12 uh, 1, 5 and 6, 16 and 17. Let's look at that. 12. This is uh, Revelation chapter 12. Here, verse 1. A great sign. This is Israel in prophecy. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and with a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, who is this? Obviously, it is Israel obviously she verse 2 she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth and okay Israel one of the purposes that God brought forward Israel is to give birth to his son his monogamous his uniquely born son it is it's um, then it says verse 3 then another sign appeared in heaven uh, an enormous great dr red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. Its, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. This is, this is Satan and his fall, right? Uh, the, notice where they were flung to, the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She, go, she gave birth to a son. They met Israel gave birth to a son, who was the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. We talked about the fact that, is, that Jesus Christ will rule this world. He has wrenched it from Satan's hands. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, so when Christ was resurrected, what happened as we know? What happened? We know that the church started 50 days after Christ uh, died on the cross. He came back in the resurrection, but then he ascended. Uh, and then and 10 days later, the church started at Pentecost. So 40 days he walked the earth. 10 days, um, after, after 10 days, he, uh, he ascended. And Pentecost came. Well, I, I think I didn't say that right. So he, let's, let's take another stab at it. So after he died, right, from the Passover to Pentecost is 50 days. Christ walked the earth for 40 of those days, and then he left. Ten days later, Pentecost happened. The church was waiting for this promise from the Father. Right there in Acts chapter 2, you, you read it when it happened. So, hopefully you, you understand where I'm coming from, uh, but where's the church in this? It's not here at all. Not a mention of it. It's between verses 5, 12, 5, and 12, 6. So, as far as the record is for what God had revealed prior to the mystery, this is it. Look. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Right? So now Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. The woman, he just he fled into the wilderness to take a, a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So think about this. This is in the tribulation now. So Christ went up to his throne, and then he just jumps right to the tribulation, the 1260 days, which is three and a half years. So, I mean, when you see this, no church, no time we're living in now. Why? Because it's not part of Israel's history, and this is what God is dealing with when he comes to Israel. So... 
this part is important for us just to note. Okay, then 16. We read 5 and 6. Now 16 and 17 says, um, but the earth helped the woman, right? There's all this I should have read probably earlier, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So in other words, the dragons after the woman to overtake the woman to extinguish her, but God is helping her supernaturally. Verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman. Notice who's on stage now, the woman, Israel. It's like we saw in Revelation chapter 7. And went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands, right? They're under the Mosaic law and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So remember, they have the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. So this is an important verse that deals with the history of Israel. It doesn't deal with the church. It deals with Israel. We're not in there because we were hidden. Point C in our notes. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? So their full inclusion bring. Uh, and that word, we've been talking about it before, pleroma. Will their fullness be repletion or completion? That is subjectively what filled as content, supplement, copiousness, uh, multitude, or objectively what is filled, a container, performance, period. What is put in to fill up, right? To piece that filled up, fulfilling, full, fullness. These are all ways that that word can be translated. We understand it to mean the fullness of him. Right? Christ is not complete without the church. Right? Israel is not complete unless God is able to restore them and finish what they uh, were called to do from eternity past. Right? They, this is When God restores them, he's talking about their fullness. Point D, Israel's fullness is not the same as the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's not the same as our fullness in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, even though it is the same word used. So some people who, you know, who break out of concordance and say, well, it's the same thing, it's the same word. No, it's talking about two different things. The church, we complete Christ, right? The, the plan for Christ was that he have a bride, that he have a body. The church that God will call and bring those many sons into glory. And those sons will be one in Christ. We already read that they're not Jew, not Gentile, right? God takes them through the baptism of the Spirit and unites them to the person of Christ. So that is unique for us, but that is not what Israel's fullness is. Israel's fullness referred here is about them being restored and fulfilling the purpose for which God called them. So they, that's what they're, they're making complete, because they're not at this point. Right now, Israel is uh, in discipline. God is disciplining Israel, and their hardness of heart. But this is when he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is when he, he will have establish his covenant with them. And we read that they will keep the God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So, point E, Israel's fullness is their satisfying God's calling for them from eternity past. God's vision of Israel and how they would contribute to his overall purpose is their fullness. So, we don't expect Israel to go away. We expect that God will restore them and they will fulfill the purpose for which God called them. Point F, Israel is a component part of God's eternal purpose. Will they fail? By no means. And quote, God did not reject his people, which he foreknew. This, these are only just the statements in chapter 11, right? God will not reject his people, which whom he foreknew. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. We're not supposed to think that. 
And that all comes from Hebrew, uh, Romans 11, 1 and 2 and verse 11. Not at all. By no means did he reject his people who he foreknew. Foreknew is before time began, God already planned that Israel would play this role that he has assigned to them. And they will play it. Right? Foreknowledge means that they're going to be in the plan of God. But what capacity? Not the same capacity that we have. But nonetheless, they are in the plan of God. So point G, as, as I close, uh, if Israel fails, God's eternal purpose will fail since they're a component part. God's plan unfolds in dispensations. And there is no dispensation that fails or does not meet God's vision of his plan from eternity past. Eternity past. He, all the dispensations will succeed and God's plan will move forward. God saw all of it and now we do too. I'm just going to read Romans 8, 18 through 23 in this regard. We see it now. God has revealed everything to us. We have the riches of knowledge and wisdom, all of this. Um, so we have it. Now, of course, we are to be renewing our mind, and just like in the image of his creator. It is about learning in this age. It is about us yielding to the spirit of truth so we can come to the full knowledge of the truth. So I know a lot of churches are about entertainment and a lot of different things, but as far as I can see, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, is directing us for a purpose, to an end, not just to our the end of that we are entertained or, or that we are somehow, uh, you know, bolstered in our own lives of what we're doing in this world. God has a purpose for us that is beyond this world. It is, a, it is our quest to learn of this purpose, to come to the knowledge of the truth. So uh, Romans 8, 18 through 23. Listen, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, get this. This is, let's allow it to say what it is. I could comment, and I will at some point, just to clarify, but the glory that will be. So whatever we're going through now, is nothing compared to what God has planned for us. What what are in the works already for us? Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to build to be revealed. The creation is waiting for us. The, the creation is not just um, what's happening here on earth. The creation is the creation of the universe. Uh, just to note, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now get this, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Notice the earth is in bondage to, de to decay. We can see that clearly on this earth. But guess what frees this mind, the, the, the creation personified from this bondage to decay? We do the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groan, has been groaning as in pains of childbirth, another analogy, right up to the present time. Now, so in other words, this it's almost like a pregnant woman waiting to give birth. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So, all that is to say, God has a glorious future 
for us, one that we cannot phantom easily, but God has given this information to us by means of the Spirit. We can learn about all the questions that we might have. We can learn uh, all the riches of wisdom that are hidden in Christ. They're revealed to us. It is just about allowing the Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth, as he says in John 16. So we will pause. Uh, at this point, we have come to the end of 12, at least the notes I have. I have just, but we are going to slow down to see if there are any thoughts, questions, ideas that you have. Um, before we close, we do have a short bit of time, but the floor is now open. All right. I just want to make sure nobody is falling asleep out there. Doug, <laughs> I'm going to send you a message. I have something that's going to be just a little bit involved, so I'm just, I'm going to just message you. It's an email that you send from, just send a note that I could send it to. Okay. That's fine. You got my info, so you know how to reach me, okay. right? Yeah, but thank you. Um, that, 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 uh, that, uh, Great. The um, email that you send everything to from is, is the one that's proper to send to. Sure. That's proper, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. per Thank perfect. You. So, other thoughts out there? If not, we we can close. Uh, we don't have to make up thoughts. If you have them, that's good. If not, no worries. Um, we will close at this point. I just want to make sure everybody has has an opportunity to to ask whatever thoughts or questions. All right. Let's close. Thank you, Father, for this time we have. We are grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your salvation, which so uh, marvelously designed and encompasses our very selves. We, we, we know that we are in your hands and when we believe in your Son. We thank you for his work, his dedication, his sacrifice, and we pray that it will motivate us, inspire us, so that we will have the same attitude of love and devotion and commitment that he had. All of this we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.